Okay, we're continuing in our series here, The Life of Abraham. This is the second series in the Traits of Being a Man, Being a Man series. We went through the first series, that was the seven traits. And after we finished the seven traits, I thought it was only appropriate that we would go through and see the story of one individual for sure. There are several individuals, but one that more than any other, I would say, embodied, except with the exception of one other man, perhaps, and that would be Moses, but Abraham is the embodiment of what it means to be a man. The idea that we said in Judaism, the definition of a man, the definition of a man was what? Someone that takes responsibility and does everything in his power to see to it that that gets done. And the Jewish understanding of a man is to take responsibility for the world. the world. Not just your world. That's the simple understanding of a man. The simple worldly understanding of what it means to be a man is to take responsibility for your world. Stand up, be a man. What is that? When anyone ever says that, they imply take responsibility for yourself. Take responsibility for your world. The Jewish understanding is, is that your world is the world. And Abraham was the embodiment of that. He was the embodiment of one individual who took responsibility for the world. We've seen several stories. Tonight we're going to finish with probably the most troubling, the most profound, and yet and the most complex story of them all. We will not do it justice tonight, I promise you that. And we will try, though, to walk away with an understanding of how this fits in with the context that we've been discussing, the idea of being a man. Now, as I mentioned last week, that Abraham had ten tests. Every test that Abraham had was something to take him to a new level, a higher level. And that's all of life. All of life is a challenge. You know, I always say in many of my classes, and I certainly this is one of the oldest lessons, because I remember giving this class when I was a student in yeshiva, one of the very first times I ever taught, I remember giving this lesson, that, the, that life is akin to a video game. Life is akin to a video game. And that the video game is at its best, is at its most thrilling, is at its most rewarding, when it is just as easy to win as it is to lose. That you go into it and you don't know the outcome, but you know you got a chance. You know you could win. Because if it was inevitable that you'd lose, you'd quit and give up. Futile. Right? Desperate. Desperation. If on the other hand, if it was guaranteed that you win, you would also not play. Because it would be boring. It would be <coughs> no challenge involved. The thrillingness of the game is when it's right at that pinnacle of I could win, I could lose. And now I can give it a shot. That's when it's the most thrilling. And that's life. Life is meant to be that thrill. And every challenge that we conquer takes us to a new level. And every test that we embrace can bring us to a new height in life. And Abraham was given ten. We didn't go through the ten trials because uh, the Torah doesn't delineate them all as specifically as we went through the story. But this is the final test. This is the tenth test. The Akedah, the binding of Isaac, as they call it. The, 
taking Isaac up and offering him as a sacrifice. So we're just going to read the story. Chapter 22. And it happened after these things that God tested Abraham. This one, it's explicit that it was a test. And said to him, Abraham. And he replied, here I am. Oh, we, we could spend so much time on every line. I say that every week, don't I? Every line has so much depth and profundity, especially that one word right there. Those three words is one word in Hebrew. Here I am, he named me. And he said, please take your son, your only one, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah, bring him up there as an offering upon one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham woke up early in the morning and he saddled his donkey. He took his two young men with him and Isaac his son. He split the wood for the offering and stood up and went to the place of which God had spoken to him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and perceived the place from afar. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here by yourselves with the donkey, while I and the lad will go yonder. We will worship and we will return to you. And Abraham woke up early in the morning and he saddled his donkey and he took his two young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the offering and stood up and went to the place which God had spoken to him. And on the third day, this is where we were, Abraham raised his eyes and perceived the place from afar. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here by yourselves with the donkey, while I and the lad will go yonder. We will worship and we will return to you. And Abraham took the wood for the offering and placed it on Isaac, his son. He took in his hand the fire, the knife, and the two of them went together. Then Isaac spoke to Avraham, his father, and said, Father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Here are the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the offering? And Abraham said, God will seek out for himself the land for the offering, my son. And the two of them went together. They arrived at the place which God had spoken to him. Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound Isaac, his son, and he placed him on the altar atop of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. And an angel of Hashem called to him from heaven and said, Avraham, Avraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad, nor do anything to him. For now I know that you are a God-fearing man since you have not withheld your son, your only one, from me. And Abraham raised his eyes and saw, behold, a ram. Afterwards, caught in a thicket by its horns, so Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as an offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that son Hashem Yireh, as it is said this day, on the mountain Hashem will be seen. The angel of Hashem called to Abraham a second time from heaven, and he said, By myself I swear, the word of Hashem, that because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only one, that I shall bless you and greatly increase your offspring like the stars of the heavens and like the sand on the seashore. And your offspring shall inherit the gate of its enemy. And all the nations of the earth shall bless themselves by your offspring because you have listened to my voice. The story goes on, but we don't need to read the end for our purposes. Again, one of the most powerful stories, if you followed along on Rosh Hashanah, if you were in Shul on Rosh Hashanah on Sunday, this was the story that we read on Sunday. This was the Torah portion of Rosh Hashanah. 
Maybe if we have time at the end of the class, we'll speak about how this ties back to Rosh Hashanah. But the first thing that I'd like to do before we go into the, the exact connection of how this ties back to our traits of a man, I'd just like to walk through and very quickly give you the basic understanding of this story from the rabbinical perspective, exactly what was happening here. You see, first and foremost, Abraham is at a point in his connection to Hashem and into his life in terms of his mission that is somewhat beyond our comprehension. It is very, very difficult for us to comprehend exactly the level that Abraham had amassed in his life. But yet, nonetheless, we can understand many things from this story. Because I got this new book I'm trying to... Ah, here we go. Okay. You know, the chapters are not Jewish. Like the chapters. The chapters. That, that was made by the, by the non-Jews. But, all right. Is that true? Yeah. I yeah. Um, okay. That's why, you know, you don't see... It's not, it's not the... Exactly a break. Um, okay, <clears throat> so we're going to go through the story again, and this time I'm going to add a little bit of commentary. And it happened after these things that God tested Abraham, and He said, "Abraham," and He says, "Here I am." Hineni, here I am. And He said, "Please take your son, your only one, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and bring him up there as an offering." Now, the first thing, though is it doesn't say bring him up as an offering. That is how it's translated always in English. And that is indeed how Abraham understood it. That is indeed how Abraham understood it. That he he understood that God was telling him to sacrifice his son. But we will see it was never intended that God would want him to sacrifice his son. I have one question. Uh, uh, One? Is that okay? Yeah, just one. No, just because it's really bothering me. How is Abraham so combative with God when it comes to Ishmael? That's a Sodom great question. It's a great question. Great question. It's a great question. It's a great question. It's a great question. It's a great question. We'll deal with it. Right. We'll deal with it. The Hebrew says, sham Bring him up there as an Ola. An Ola. Allah just means an uplifting. One of the sacrifices is called an Ola. But it's not, it doesn't mean a carbon is a sacrifice. It doesn't say carbon. It says bring him up there as an upbringing. Bring him up. Abraham immediately understood God's asking me to sacrifice my son. Now, Abraham is troubled by this incredibly, and we will see that. And Abraham woke up early in the morning and sat on his donkey, and he took his two young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the offering and stood up and went to the place which God had spoken to him. And on the third day, on the third day, now you have to understand also this idea of the third day. See, many people read this story and without an understanding from a rabbinical explanation. This story sounds its very, very bothersome. First and foremost, it makes Abraham out to sound like this zealous, unthinking fanatic. Mm-hmm. That's what it makes him sound out to be. That he got caught up in the passion, that he got caught up in the passion and went and did this. 
And people do get caught up in passion when a war strikes. Sometimes people just send their children off without thinking, without anything, without preparation. It's just that, you know, you get caught up. It's like the horse charging in. You get caught up in the passion of the moment. And many people think that that's what was going on here. It took Abraham three days. If you know anything about where Abraham is living at the time in Moriah, it should have been a half a day's journey. Where was he? Beersheba? Abraham was in Beersheba. It's a half a day's journey. It took him three days. He didn't know where he was going. He followed God's path. God told him, go this way, go this way. God had him go three days' journey to get a half a day's journey. To make sure that Abraham... Two things. One, to make sure that Abraham doesn't just rush off and do this. If Abraham didn't want to do this, he would have stopped at any given moment. He had three days. The passion could have settled. This is not a moment of, this is not just caught up in the rush, okay, kill my son and slaughter. He had three days to think about this. And on the third day he gets there. And he takes the wood and the offering, he places it on his son and... He took in his hand the fire and the knife, and the two of them went together. Now, as I mentioned before when we started this series, in Torah, whenever we learn Torah, every word we say is written for a specific reason. Now, Abraham and Isaac are going. Abraham is under the impression that he's going to what? Offer his son as a sacrifice. What does Isaac think? They're going to sacrifice some animal, something. They're going to do some offering to God. And the Torah says they went together. They went together, which means Isaac is going and Abraham are going in the same path and the same conviction and the same desire to do this. That Abraham is going just like Isaac is going. That just like Isaac is going with an excitement, Abraham is going with that same sense of excitement. How do you, is that yeah. How do you yeah. Now, Isaac then speaks to his father though. Isaac then speaks <clears throat> to his father and he says, Father, and he says, here I am, my son. And he says, here's the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? You got the fire, you got the lamb. Now, Isaac wasn't bothered by this when they left. You know, okay, maybe dad will find something on the way. You know, we're walking through the wilderness. He'll catch an animal, get a fresh animal, and take it up there. Now we're here. We're at the mountain. And he turns to the other two and says, all right, we're here. You two stay here. We're going up to do this. Now they're there. And there's no animal. So Isaac says, Dad, well, where's the animal? And Abraham says, now read, watch this. The rabbis say, this is how you read this. God will seek out for himself the lamb. Comma. See, for the English translation, they put the comma in a separate place because that's an easier reading. But the rabbis say, no. God will seek out for, him for a lamb. Comma. For the offering, my son. Abraham is telling Isaac right now, you are the sacrifice. Ah, uh, many people read this and they think that Isaac is it's a very child. Unclear. He's a thirty-some-year-old <clears throat> man. This was before Jacob was born, though. A thirty-some-year-old man. He's not married. He's not married, but he's a thirty-some-year-old man. He's in his thirties. He's not a little boy. And look what the Torah says. And the two of them went together. Uh. It repeats it. They went together again. Now, Isaac, knowing that he is going to be the sacrifice, still goes. So that makes Isaac that much Ooh. more righteous. Yeah. See, we always read this story and we focus on Abraham. It's Isaac. 
Isaac is the 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 overwhelming the overwhelming weight of Isaac is mind boggling to have the ability to say okay to have the ability to say okay we don't have time tonight but on Shavuot on Shavuot I I tell over a story at the end of the night those that had the ability to stay the entire night would hear this that the I tell over a story where this this comes into play where Isaac goes to bat for the Jewish people, so to say. Maybe if there's time at the end, we'll, we'll do it. I don't think so, though. Um, yeah. On the issue of the age, why does it say, Vayomer Avraham el Na'arav? Well, he's, he's not married, so well, he's still a youth in that aspect. Wow, that's generous. <laughs> they, arrived, they arrived at the place which God had spoken to him. Abraham built the altar, arranged the wood, and bound Isaac his son. Now, why is Abraham doing anything? Especially if we just found out that Isaac is a grown man. Abraham is, is, is an old man. Why is Abraham doing it? Abraham is doing it himself. He said, no, Isaac, I don't want you to do it. I don't want you to do it. Because Isaac's going to be nervous. You know, even, though he's, even though Isaac's willing to do this, you, know, you cannot still separate the fact that he's human. He's still human. There's clarity and conviction, but there's still human emotion. He's still going to be bothered by this. He's still going to have an emotion about this. And so Abraham says, I don't want you preparing this because of your emotions. You might end up getting worked up. You might hurt yourself, and then I won't be able to offer you as a sacrifice. There's rules of sacrifice. You can't have any blemish. I don't want you getting involved. And two, Isaac says to him, tie me up, Dad, because when it comes time for you to do it, I don't want to try and stop you. And he placed him on the altar. Now watch this. Abraham stretched out his hand. Now in Hebrew, it's much, it's much better. It's much, much better in the Hebrew. And he says, and Avram sent out his hand. It's, it's, it's not stretched out. Stretched is, is just an expression. Literally sent out his hand. Now how do you send out your hand? Detach it. <laughs> Well, very good. Detach it. Detach it from what, though? You can't detach it from your oh, body, from your, from your will. His body didn't want to do it. He didn't want to do it. Somebody else. He, I can't do it. He couldn't. His body, his emotions were saying, I can't do this. But yet his mind, his conviction, his will is saying, you have to. You have to do this. Now, to answer your question... To answer your question, why? Abraham goes to bat for a city that is despicable as Sdom and Amora we spoke about. That was one of the stories that we did do. And here, he's not even putting up a fight. He just wakes up first thing in the morning. <coughs> the rabbi say, by the way, the reason he woke up first thing in the morning was so that his wife wouldn't try and stop him. He woke up first thing in the morning to go do this. Why doesn't he put up a fight? And there's a very, very distinct difference. And that's why he's troubled. He's troubled by this. By Sdom and Amorah, God didn't tell him he's destroying Sdom and Amorah. God said, I'm going to destroy it. I'm going to look and see if it should be destroyed. God didn't say, Sodom and Amorah are going to be destroyed. Remember where he said, I'm going to go down and I'm going to look and I'm going to see. There he was consulting with Abraham. There he was consulting with Abraham. Abraham, what do you think? I want you to know that I'm going to go do this. Wait, you're telling me what? You want to know what I think? I don't think you should. Here, God didn't say, by the way, I'm thinking of telling you to slaughter your son. Here he was given marching orders. Take your son up. What about Ishmael? 
Well, what <clears> about Yishmael? Listen to listen to listen Seba. To, so there's a marching order, and right. Abraham didn't argue. He didn't argue. Well, doesn't he say? Then God has to appease him and say, "Don't worry, I'll I'll, there, he, I'll he make said, him a good Because he sees he's, he sees he's bothered. God appeased him. Abraham didn't argue. And God doesn't see he's bothered here. God, God never wanted him to do anything. You're bothered. That's your mistake. Abraham's mistaken. Abraham's making a mistake. God never intended, God never wanted him to say, oh, that's very good. We'll speak but about God it. God obviously too. knew that he was going to that's speak right. it that way. That's right. That's right. We'll see. We'll see. This is a tough story. Let's, let's get through it. Let's get through it. God, come on. And Abraham stretched out his hand, and an <laughs> angel calls out to him and says, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad, nor do anything to him. Now here's where we'll start to understand the story. If God says, don't stretch out your hand, why does he have to say, don't do anything to him? Isn't that redundant? God's not redundant. God doesn't repeat himself for no reason. Don't stretch out your hand to this boy. Don't do anything to him. If I'm not going to stretch out my hand, I'm not going to do anything to him. See, now let's start to speak and understand the story. Who remembers what the seventh trait of the traits were? Unity. Unity. And what's the key to unity? Humility. Humility. The key to unity is humility. The greatest trait is, can possibly be given, and the greatest trait that anyone can strive for, according to Judaism, is humility. The Torah praises Moses. Moses. The Torah is clearly saying is the greatest human to ever live. And the Torah praised him with two statements. One, he's called an Evid Hashem, and the other, he's called the humblest of all men. Humility is the greatest character trait that we should strive for. And humility is the most difficult one to get. Humility is the most difficult one to get. And that is what Abraham is being tested with here. Because you know what Abraham is being tested with? Abraham is being tested with the following. You want to follow God? That's great, Abraham. But are you following God because it makes sense to you? Or are you following God because you know it's true? You follow? I'll say that again. Are you following God because it makes sense to you? Or are you following God because it's true? And that might sound the same to us, but that's only because most of us, speak for myself at least, think that what makes sense is true, and what doesn't make sense is not true. I.e., if I have the ability to understand it, I'm the arbitrator of truth. If I understand it, it's true. If I don't understand it, then it's not true. Because I'm the arbitrator. It's got to make sense to me. I don't care if it makes sense to you. It's got to make sense to me. And therefore, where's the source of truth? Me. That's far from humility. Abraham is being told. Abraham is being told, I want you to sacrifice your son. At least that's what he thinks he's being told. Why? Because Abraham has to be taught this lesson. 
Abraham has to be taught this lesson, and we will see that he doesn't get the lesson at first, and he only gets it after the fact, and that's the double entendre here, and we'll speak it out. Abraham spent his whole life going around and telling people what? God doesn't need your sacrifices. God doesn't need sacrifices. We taught the world that. The Torah came along and taught the world God doesn't need sacrifices. But yet the Torah has sacrifices. Do you know what was rampant in the times of Abraham? Child sacrifice. And Abraham went around and preached to the world that that's nonsense. God wants you to sacrifice your child? Why in the world would God want you to sacrifice your child? It makes no sense. It makes no sense. It can't be that God wants you to sacrifice your child. And then God comes to him with a statement that Abraham's going to misunderstand. Abraham's going to misunderstand. I want you to bring your child up. And immediately Abraham is forced to question. And immediately Abraham's forced to ask himself, this makes no sense to me. Do I still follow it? Now we're not talking blind faith here. Don't misunderstand. We're not talking blind faith. What we're talking about is you've come to the clarity and conviction that something is true, Abraham. You know that there's a God. You know that the God's speaking to you. You're not, this is not some fabric of your imagination. You know that God is speaking to you. But it doesn't make sense to you. It doesn't make sense. Now what do you do? This is a struggle that we challenge ourselves with all the time. You know how often I hear people say, this makes no sense. Does God really care if I eat kosher or not? God doesn't care about that. These laws make no sense. Do you see, if we dedicate our lives to only that which makes sense to us, then we are saying that we are the arbitrators of truth and anything that doesn't make sense to us, we're not going to do it. And I will tell you right now, I cannot explain to you why you should keep kosher. Why should you keep kosher? You want to give me some nonsensical statement about health? You want to tell me that it's healthier? Nonsense. Why should you marry Jewish? You want to tell me because statistically speaking, marriages work out better? Okay. I'll take my chances. I'll go on the odds. I like Vegas. I like gambling. I hate Vegas, by the way, no. No, Rabbi, I should be in Vegas. But if it doesn't make sense to me, why should I do it? It doesn't make sense to me. Everything has to make sense to you. Everything has to make sense to you. When a doctor prescribes you medicine, do you understand how that medicine does everything in your body? Do you understand how the chemicals go and break down the disease and break down the antibiotics go and break down? So what are you taking it for? You don't understand it, so what are you doing it for? Do you see, the first thing that we have to start with in the seven traits is clarity and conviction, not blind faith. And that's the first lesson that Abraham was taught. But once you have that clarity, and once you have conviction, and once you have an understanding of right and wrong, don't let that go to your head. You ever notice that incredibly bright people come in two forms? 
least in my experience, incredibly arrogant or exceedingly humble. <laughs> incredibly arrogant or exceedingly humble. Because one of them knows that they know a lot more than anybody else. And they've got it figured out. Like Albert Einstein, huh? Very, very humble, huh? It depends if you read his book. <laughs> it depends. You, if, if one of them has it all figured out. And he knows. I know I'm right. I know this is true. I know this is true. I know that's false. I know that's false. It has nothing to do with, with, this is my opinion. It's not my opinion. I know I'm right. And that person can then say, and therefore, I know I'm right. And anything that I don't know, well, that must be wrong. And that means that I am smarter than all of you. Whereas the other one, I know I'm right in these areas. But you know what else I know? Because I'm that bright, I know what I don't know. You ever notice the older we get, the more we realize how much we don't know? And the younger we are, how much we think we know it all? We know it all! <laughs> By the time what? I say it's about 16. By the time we were 16, we had it all figured out. Isn't that true? It's all figured out. I got it all figured out. Abraham is a man that had it all figured out. He had it all figured out. He knows what's right. He knows what's true. He knows even how to argue on God. This makes no sense, God, what you're about to do. And then God comes to him and says, I want you to do this. And it's marching orders. It's not a debate. And Abraham is, whoa. Maybe I don't have it all figured out. Maybe I don't have it all figured out. So you did it because he knows it's right even though he doesn't understand it? Oh, and he struggles with that. And he struggles with that. Because you know what we have to balance? We have to balance trait number one and trait number seven. Trait number one is clarity. Clarity and conviction. And trait number seven is there are things that I don't know. Trait number one is I understand what I know. And trait number seven is, but I understand what I don't know. You know what clarity we have to have is? And this was the clarity that you were supposed to get on Rosh Hashanah, which is why we read this on Rosh Hashanah. You know what the clarity that we were supposed to get on Rosh Hashanah is? That all that matters in this world is reality and the ultimate reality is a relationship with Hashem. Period. That's all there is. There is nothing else. Everything else is just an illusion. That's all there is. There is truth, and that truth is Hashem. And that's it. And if the world only knew that, then the world would be a meaningful place. We have to have clarity on that. But number seven comes along and says, and you want to know what that means though? I'm not Hashem. You know what the biggest challenge of, that it requires to be a man is? You know what the number one challenge to be a man is? Is to get rid of ego. Because we all walk around thinking we're not a man. You know what we walk around thinking? We're God. 
I've said this to you guys before. Remember in the seven traits I said it to you? When, when President, I think it was around inauguration, wasn't it? No, it wasn't the class around inauguration. And I said, how many of us sat there watching President Obama give his speech and thought to ourselves for a fleeting moment, oh, I could do that. Mm. <laughs> Remember I said that? And everyone in the room laughed. Because we all know it. We all know that we sit around going, oh, yeah, that could be me. Yeah, I could do that. I should be doing that. Oh, yeah, I could do it better. We think we're God. All right, God's too much. <laughs> all, right, all right, not God. But certainly the greatest human that ever came on the earth. It's just no one else has figured it out yet. And Abraham has to learn that lesson. You mean President Obama's not God? <laughs> <laughs> right, no, that's why we're not God. All right, all right. <laughs> like I said, all right, I'm not God, because he is. <laughs> but does that make sense to everyone? Now, if we had that clarity, that all that there is is Hashem, if we had that clarity, that all that there is is Hashem, do you know what else we'd have the clarity of? We would have the clarity that I would never lose by doing the right thing. How many of you have ever experienced that struggle? When you had the choice to make, and the choice was, do I do the right thing, or do I not do the right thing because of what I might lose by doing the right thing? Do I stand up to my friend who's a drug addict and tell him I will not speak to you ever again if you don't get help? Because that's the right thing. Or do I not do it because I'm scared of what I might lose if I do that? What will I lose? Well, I might lose my friend. Oh, better to have a friend who's killing himself than to lose the friendship. Does that mean, that's the struggle we all have. Do I do the right thing or do I not do the right thing because of what I might lose? Sometimes you, you do something and you think you are doing the right thing. So oh, that's right, that's right. You're, Mr. Ramin, you're absolutely right. We cannot comprehend the test that Abraham is given right here. The details of the test. The test we can certainly comprehend. And that's what I'm trying to convey to us right now. The test that we're trying to comprehend is... is do we do things just because they make sense to us or because they're the right thing to do? Because it's true. And the struggle is, do I do the right thing or do I not do it because I'm scared I might lose by doing it? The exact test that Abraham had, none of us can comprehend that test. You want to know why? Because none of us have God speaking directly to us. There was no doubt that Abraham was doing the right thing. And Abraham knew that. And that's why we're going to see why Hashem has to do the double entendre. See, if you have that clarity that if I do the right thing, I'll never lose, then you know what? We'll stand up to the friend. You know what? We'll make a stand. We'll make a stand when need to. We will stand up and fight for our values and for our principles, even though the world might turn against us. Because we know, if I'm doing the right thing, I won't lose. And if I lose relationships because of it, then you know what that really means? I didn't lose. Because it means that those relationships weren't real. 
if someone's going to walk away from you for standing up for your principles? And Abraham had to learn that lesson because we have to learn that lesson. And Abraham gets up there and he takes his son and he puts his son on the altar and he takes out the knife. And as soon as he takes out the knife, the angel says, Abraham, Abraham, don't touch, don't, 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 don't reach out your hand to that child. And right away, Abraham gets it. Right away, Abraham gets it. Because he goes through the following in his brain. Yeah, one thing I've told you many times, you have to make the story real. Make this a real person. What's going through <coughs> Abraham's brain at that moment? Abraham's thinking to himself, I'm supposed to bring my kid up and offer him. And I get him here and I tie him up and I'm about to do it. And God says, don't do it. What's the first thing that goes through Abraham's mind? Thank God. No. Huh? He never intended me to do it at all. No. Did I leave my oven on? No, did I leave my oven on? He's going to come to that conclusion. He's going to come to that conclusion. But not, it's not the first thing that's going to come to his mind. The first thing that's going to come to his mind is, why not? Why is God stopping me? God told me to do this. Why is he stopping me? That's the first thing that's going to come to his mind. You've already offered an answer. <laughs> but the first thing that's going to go through his mind is why not? You told me to bring him up. And now you're telling me not to? Why not? And the first answer that Abraham suggests is I must not have done it right. I must not have done it right because I hesitated. Because I hesitated. You see, I had to send my hand out. I hesitated. And Abraham then gets it. And he says, hey, oh, I blew it. I blew it. I had, a, I had an opportunity to pass a test. And what was that test? To show that I'm willing to do what's right. No matter what cost I think I'm going to lose. It's not possible that I would lose anything. If it's right. It's not possible that I would lose anything if it's right and so Abraham says to God please let me just make a mark on him let me just cut him to show you that I will do it I'm, I'm, I'll do it I will do it I'll do it I, I understand I hesitated okay I hesitated I messed up I hesitated don't stop me let me just make a mark let me just make a mark and then God says, don't even make a mark on him. For now I know that you are a God-fearing man. And at that moment, now Abraham gets it. Don't even make a mark. I was never meant to do this. I was never meant to do this. I was only meant to demonstrate that I would do it. I was only meant to demonstrate... God never said offer him. God said bring him up. God just said bring him up. And Abraham now gets it. And the Torah says, and now I know that you fear God. Now I know that you fear God. But yet it doesn't say that. It says, now I know that you are a God-fearing man. And Abraham then says, and I'm going to call this place Hashem Yireh. Because it's on that mountain God will be seen. What's the Hebrew word for fear? Yeah. Same. 
Tzirah. What's the Hebrew word to see? Tzirah. It's the same root. It's the same root. Abraham got the lesson. Abraham got the lesson. Now I see that you can't lose by doing the right thing. It's not possible to lose if you do the right thing. But the only way to get to that level, the only way, and this is a tremendously high level that the Torah is asking us to come to, and it's only in Abraham that could be asked to do such a thing. You and I will never be asked to do such a thing, at least in my understanding. God willing, we should be asked to do something as great, but God forbid that, because I don't know if we would pass. But we should get to such a level that we should be asked to do such a thing, because that means we've gotten to a level where we have such clarity, and the only thing we're missing, the only thing we're missing, is to get past that one hump of... Okay, but will I still do it even if it doesn't make sense to me? Everything else I'll do, but that one hump, and that requires such humility. Such humility to know that, you know what, even if it doesn't make sense to me, it's true, and I can't lose by doing it. It's not possible. And I'll keep going back to that example. Do you have clarity that someone who's destroying their life with an addiction needs to be stopped. If you've got clarity on that, then even though it means losing possibly a relationship with someone you love, you will not lose by doing it. Because better you lose that relationship than save his life then hold on to that empty relationship and watch him kill himself. Does that make sense? But that's only from clarity. When that challenge is facing us, it doesn't make sense. I should lose my child over this? How many times I hear people say that? I should lose my child over this? You know, I understand my child should marry someone Jewish, but, but I should lose my child over it. That doesn't make sense. I should lose my child over it. So then what principles are there? Principles just went out the window. You see? Abraham is being tested an unbelievable test. Abraham, I told you that you're going to have a son. And you're going to build a nation with that son. Which means everything Abraham is living for, everything he's living for, is about to end as far as he understands. Can you imagine that? Could you imagine being asked to give up everything you've built your life around? Could you imagine being asked to give up everything you've worked tremendously hard for and just walk away from it all because you found out that it wasn't true? That would be very difficult. You know, I don't know the details I don't know the details, but that's probably something that Madoff struggled with for quite some time. I can't imagine that. It was just one day he woke up, you know, the whole thing's a scam. All right. I can't imagine that. I'm forced to believe that he's a human being. A despicable one, maybe, but I'm forced to believe that he's still human. And I guarantee you that that's what he struggled with. 
You want me to stand up and tell the world that everything I built, that everything I stood for, that everything I worked so hard for is nothing? That's hard. But it's true. Okay. <laughs> That's what Abraham's being asked to do. You're going to have a child. Your child is going to carry on your life's mission. The very mission that you've embodied yourself with over the last 70 years. And you finally have that child. And now that he's a grown man, end it. And Abraham has to stop and ask himself. <laughs> so what was it? Was it the mission? Was it the mission? Or was it truth? Was it the mission that I cared about? Or was it truth that I cared about? If it's the mission that I cared about, how could I end it? How could I offer my son? If it's truth I care about, then if that's what God says to do, that's what God says to do. Period. Is it making sense? It's a difficult story, I'll grant you that. We didn't do it justice. I, I didn't do it justice. But that's a struggle that we all face. That's a struggle that we all face when it comes to being <coughs> a man. You want to be a man? You want to be a man? You want to take responsibility in this life? Whether it's on a simple level responsibility in terms of taking responsibility for your own life, taking responsibility for your world, well then, trust me, there's going to become challenges that go to the very fiber of what you stand for. Because until your principles are challenged, until your principles are challenged to the extent where you have to question them because it might not make sense, the decision that you might have to make because that decision that you have to make is going to wrench your gut, then you've never stood up to the test, the ultimate test of being a man. And that's called humility. Because that humility requires you to stop and just say, I don't know everything. I don't have it all figured out. But I know that that's true. And that truth is telling me that this is what I have to do, no matter how painful it is. That's humility. Yeah, no, we do. Why is it that the entire time God is speaking directly to Abraham and then at the end an angel comes up. Kind of God speaks indirectly to you. I don't have an answer. Is it I'll look into that. Is it I, I mean I always heard that like that Abraham fought with the angel. Tried to you know, this angel tried to stop him, but Abraham fought with the angel to, to try to to try to do it. No, there's, there's, like I said, there's, there's a lot we could have spent literally a minimum of five to ten minutes on every single line. I kid you not, we could have spent a minimum five to ten minutes on every line. When Abraham goes to put the knife to Yitzchak, the Torah says, Avraham, Avraham, calls him twice. Now there are two understandings. Whenever you see in the Torah someone's name being said twice, there are two explanations. One explanation is it's a term of endearment. Right? 
Elon calls people dude. It's a term of endearment. You know that he loves you. Dude, dude, that means he really loves you. But that's what the Torah says. Whenever the Torah says the name is repeated, it's a term of endearment. The other one is it's also a, a sign of urgency. That, that he had to be stopped. It was a sign of urgency. Now, did he wrestle with it? I don't know. Perhaps, I'm not saying, but perhaps maybe you're getting that confused with another story with, ye- Isaac, with Yaakov, Jacob. Jacob wrestled with an angel. I mean, that was an actual, they literally wrestled with each other. As far as I understand, that Abraham did not wrestle with the angel, not fight with the angel. So you have two extremes. One extreme is uh, uh, doing what we think it makes sense, and one extreme is the truth. That's right. So if we run into something, uh, how do we know if what is making sense is not the truth? That's, 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 that is the ultimate challenge. That is the ultimate, ultimate challenge, which is why the first of the seven traits is the five-finger clarity. That is why, before we even embark on this journey of being a man, the first and foremost thing we must have is an understanding of where do we get our principles from? Where do we get our convictions from? How do we know that these are correct? Where do we have the arbitrator of right and wrong and starting at the very beginning the first and foremost thing that we have to have clarity on is it can't come from us because if it comes from us then we cannot have clarity on it it has to come from from a source above us yes how how do we know if if what's happening is coming from God that is an excellent question, and that's the first question that I think every Jew must start with. These are very nice classes that we're discussing. How to be a man, how to have humility, how to have integrity, how to have love, and how to have passion. These are wonderful classes. But the first and foremost question that every Jew must start with is, how do we know that the Torah is true? That question must be dealt with. Because I will tell you, I will tell you, and I've said it emphatically, and I'll continue to say it emphatically, if the Torah is not true, then there is no binding reason whatsoever why I should do any of it. None of it. Not a single iota. Marry whoever you want. Eat whomever you want. <laughs> so how do we know we're not just blindly going to? You got to start from the beginning. And ask yourself, how do we know the Torah is true? Is it possible to know that? So that we, we, we believe everything the Torah is saying is true, but whatever we run into, then we have to find a solution in Torah. That's right. Then we would say, okay. And that's, and that's the struggle of life. That's the struggle of life. I'll tell you a great one. I one time had an unbelievably profound rabbi, a gentleman that one day you should all have the, the, the merit to meet, uh, but uh, the likelihood, I will say, is slim. Uh, I, I'm not going to lie to you. Even if each one of you became an observant Jew, the likelihood of getting to meet this rabbi would be very slim because he is becoming uh, a very, very difficult man to get to. His name is Rabbi Yitzchak Berkowitz. Um, 
And uh, I will tell you, he has a yeshiva, he has a school. The students in his own school get a three-minute meeting with him once a month. That's how busy and how in demand he is. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. But he used to teach at Asha Torah. So I, I, I got in. <laughs> when, like in the beginning, I'm like, you know, I'm, 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 you know, I'm grandfather clawed in there. I'm not high up on the rings, but I'm, you know, I, I can get a hello. <laughs> I can get a hello in. So I one time heard him say a phenomenal idea, which ties into what you're saying. He says, you know, people come and they complain. There's so many mitzvahs in the Torah. And these are people that believe Torah is true. We're not talking... The people that don't believe in Torah is true, they don't complain there's too many mitzvahs. They complain, they complain about the individual mitzvahs. They complain about what we spoke about tonight. Oh, that mitzvah makes no sense to me. Come on, that, 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 that's archaic. That doesn't apply anymore today. That doesn't make any sense in this day and age. Oh, so it makes sense to you. You'll do it. It doesn't make sense. You don't do it. Okay. So you're the arbitrator of right and wrong. That's what we're discussing. But once you come to the conclusion that Torah is true... He says, then people complain, but there's so many mitzvahs. There's so many. Do you know there's a law for everything? Name something. I'll tell you there's a law in Judaism for it. How to put on your shoes in the morning. There's a law for it. How to take your shoes off at night. There's a law for it. How to go to the bathroom. There's a law for everything. And this rabbi said an unbelievable idea. He says, everyone complains there's too many mitzvahs. He says, that's not their complaint. That's not what's really bothering them. He says, you want to know what's really bothering them? There's not enough mitzvahs. That's what's really bothering them. There's not enough mitzvahs. And you look at, what? <laughs> you guys are looking at me, what do you mean there's not enough mitzvahs? Yeah, there's mitzvahs, how to do this, how to do that, how to do this. But there's no mitzvah that tells me what school to send my child to. There's no mitzvah that's going to tell me who to marry. There's no mitzvah that's going to tell me what job to take. There's no mitzvah that's going to tell me how to make this decision. Where's that mitzvah, Rabbi? <laughs> oh, in other words, you just want someone to think for you. See, what you're bringing up is the challenge. That's the, that's the struggle of life. Well, we can make it that's the, that challenge. Of course we can. And guess what? Abraham <laughs> did. Abraham made a mistake. He made a mistake. We think what's making sense is what we should do, and we don't think that the other extreme, the truth is what we should do. Exactly. We, we do what makes sense. And that's, that's right. Abraham made a mistake, but look at what happened at the end of it. After he made the mistake, he learned the lesson, and God says, Now I know that you fear God. What do you mean, now I know? Doesn't God know everything? Isn't that the most ridiculous statement? It's like going back to the Garden of Eden. Adam, where are you? Is hide and seek with God? That would not be a good game to play. <laughs> right? Right? That's another game you wouldn't want to play with God, right? Truth or, truth or false. You wouldn't want to play that with God. Now I know. What do you mean? Like you said, didn't God know he was going to make the mistake? Of course God knew. He worded it that way on purpose. So what do you mean, now I know? God knew all along. 
now Abraham, now you know. So why is God saying, now I know? Because now I have a story to tell the world. Now I have a story that validates why I chose you. People always say, why the Jews? Why the Jews? Why the Jews think they're so special? You know what you're supposed to answer? I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything that makes us so special. You want to know what makes me special? You want to know what makes you special? You want to know what makes you and you and you and you and you and you special? There's only one thing that makes you special. And that is, you are a descendant of a man named Abraham who chose God. And God's saying, now I have that story. This story validates why I chose you. Because you got the lesson, Abraham. You will choose God no matter what, even if it doesn't make sense to you. But that's the struggle. That's the struggle. Now that we have that idea that that's what we're supposed to do, that's the struggle of life. That's why I say it's seven steps. The first thing you have to get is five-finger clarity. <coughs> you have to start with five-finger clarity. I know Torah is true. I know Torah is true like I have five fingers on each hand. I know it's true. But that doesn't mean I know how to make every decision in life. So now that I have that clarity, now you know what I've got? Now I've got a struggle. Now I've got a life that's a good video game. Now I've got a good video game. Now I got the, I got the paddles right where I want them. All right, am I making the right choice or am I making the wrong choice? I've got the tools necessary to make the right choice, but I'm also human, which means I might make the wrong choice. And that's what makes life so beautiful, is I could win and I could lose. But guess what? And this is where it comes back to this story. Even if I make the wrong choice, I don't lose. You see? Even if I make the wrong choice, if I'm doing it for the right reasons, and I'm going to struggle to learn the lesson afterwards, did I lose? Did you lose by making mistakes? Well, you only lose by making mistakes if you don't choose to learn from them. If you choose to learn from them, then you didn't lose. And that's the struggle of life. Now, I can't tell you how to make every choice. The Torah can't tell you how to make every choice. Nothing can tell you how to make every choice. All the Torah can tell you is, here's the clarity that you can have as to what's true. Here's the humility you have to struggle for to get to the point where you understand that you don't know everything. And now balance those two and do the best possible effort that you can. That's it. That's all you can do. Nothing more. That's it. Seven traits of being a man. Seven traits of really taking life by the horns and taking responsibility. And the ultimate level of doing it is humility. Alright, I hope you enjoyed the series. Thank you. <laughs> I gotta enter a passcode now. That's the whole series? We're done? This is the last class?